0: I've treated hundreds of patients and trained thousands of healthcare professionals over my 15-year career, and one thing I've learned through that experience is that most people are really confused about supplements, or they lack a clear strategy or plan for how to use supplements to improve their health. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Our ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients we need for optimal function. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. I formulated ADAPT Naturals using the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research to fill the nutrient gaps that we face today and replicate the nutrient intakes found in an optimal ancestral diet. Our flagship offering is called the Core Plus Bundle, a daily stack of five products that gives you everything you need each day, from essential vitamins and minerals like B12, folate, magnesium, and vitamin D, to phytonutrients like bioflavonoids, carotenoids, and beta-glucans. You can also order the products in the bundle separately if that works better for your needs. The Adapt Naturals products are made from the highest quality, food-based, or bioidentical ingredients. From cellular and immune health, to brain and nervous system support, to blood sugar and heart health, we've got you covered. Your supplement cupboard is about to get a lot smaller. We also created an app called Core Reset to help you get your nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress management dialed in. Because no matter how good our supplements are, and they are really good, You can't supplement yourself out of a bad diet and lifestyle. The best part is that you get this app at no additional cost when you order the Core Plus Bundle. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. I've talked a lot over the years about the benefits of nutritional ketosis and ketogenic diets, a lot of information about how to get into ketosis through diet, all of the different considerations, and we have talked a little bit about exogenous ketones, the like ketone supplements that you might take to help induce ketosis or raise your level of blood ketones. But there have been a lot of problems with ketone salts and ketone esters, which are the main two types of uh, ketone supplements over time. Uh, ketone salts often just don't really move the needle very much. They don't raise blood ketone levels, and ketone esters have the opposite problem. They can raise them too fast and lead to a big spike, and that can cause nausea, discomfort, and they taste disgusting. I think anyone who's who's taken ketone esters knows what I'm talking about. So I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Lat Mansor as my guest today. He is a global expert in Ketosis and particularly exogenous ketones. He holds a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics from the University of Oxford, where his research focused on the metabolism of type 2 diabetic heart and hypoxia. And we're going to talk a lot about ketone diols, which are a relatively new form of exogenous ketones that are much easier to take uh, have a, a, you know much more optimal form of ketone supplementation because they they lead to more stable levels of blood ketones they don't taste disgusting they're they're more affordable and i'm using these myself i've recommended them to patients and the clinicians i train uh, with really good results and so we're going to do a deep dive into exogenous ketones who might want to use them how to use them effectively uh, different considerations, um, you know, use cases, and just how you can get the benefits of this new form of ketones. So I uh, hope you enjoy the show. Let's dive in. Dr. Lat Mansoor, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I've, I've had, you know, over over many years, lots of episodes on uh, keto- nutritional ketosis, the benefits of it. But I always like to revisit this topic because I think there's so much new, interesting research coming out over the last few years. And, and now, especially the general public is so much more aware of uh, ketones and ketosis and what some of the applications might be, both for people who are trying to improve their performance and recovery as athletes or just trying to you know, be able to think more clearly throughout the day and stay focused. And, of course, for... Uh, The application of ketosis in a variety of medical conditions like diabetes, uh, neurodegenerative conditions, traumatic brain injury, et cetera. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got interested in ketosis, and then we can dive in and just do kind of like a brief overview, some basic terms for people who are less familiar, and then we'll get uh, do a deeper dive into the science of
1: ketones. Sure, sounds sounds great. So I am uh, born and bred in Malaysia, uh, grew up in Malaysia and then I left the country for the first time and did my um, undergraduate abroad in the UK in biotechnology and University of Nottingham and then I moved on and did my master's also in biotechnology and this time it was my first time in uh, the US. I did my master's in Columbia University in New York And then I thought, you know, I'm done with research and science. I want to start earning money. So I started, you know, got uh, to look for jobs and finally landed a job. It was a tough time. It was 2010. It was a recession time. And, you know, as an international student at that point, it was very, very tough because you needed like green card and sponsorship and all that stuff. But ultimately, I did land Uh, a clinical trial coordinator job uh, with a pharmaceutical company in New Jersey called The Medicines Company. Worked for them for half a year and then they promoted me to full-time and uh, flew me to Munich, uh, Germany and worked in their German office for a year before I got inspired again by the people within the company to apply for my PhD Uh, and this time Around, I decided to apply for a PhD in the UK instead of the US because in the US it takes about five, six years. And in the UK it takes three years because I already had a master's. So that makes a difference because usually people uh, may just move straight in from undergraduate straight to a PhD in the US that comes with the, all the fundings. And then the first two years they'll pick, make you take some master's courses and stuff. Yeah, so I started my PhD uh, research was in um, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. I looked at metabolism of the the type two diabetic heart in hypoxia, which is low oxygen environment as a subset of heart attack or ischemia where you have lack of blood going into the heart and hypoxia um, is one of the the subset of, of that condition. So, all in all, I have always been really interested in metabolism physiology, just because my family, my my dad's side has high prevalence of heart attack, and um, my dad passed away from stroke. He had a heart attack a few years prior. My mom's side has really high prevalence of obesity and diabetes. So together, that you know, you may <laughs> you may tell me that that's not the best genetic combination. So I think. That was what got me into learning more about these diseases and learning more about human physiology in general and human metabolism in general, because only then I realized there are so many things that I could potentially do in my daily life, uh, in my daily life to improve my health and improve my lifestyle.
0: Right. And I imagine in that research at some point, because you were focused on metabolic metabolism, Mm -hmm. uh, you encountered the, the ketosis and and uh, nutritional ketosis and became aware of how that was being used in these different contexts
1: exactly exactly and, and and in fact, you know the irony was the first time I heard the term ketones even it was known as just a side product, a byproduct of metabolism, a byproduct of respiration where we mainly use glucose and fats for energy generation or ATP generation, ketone just happens to be a side product. Um, So that was the first time I heard about ketones. And then not until later, that I looked more into, you know, diabetes and chronic diseases and metabolic inflexibility, that ketogenic diet have been used to treat epilepsy for more than 100 years now. And then you know companies popped up like Verta Health that use ketogenic diet to treat diabetes. And then you know I started looking into ketones. And then I got hired by HVMN, which is the company I'm working for now, as the as their research lead, they had a six million dollar contract with the Department of Defense of the US looking at the effect of exogenous ketones on cognitive and physical performance in hypoxia. So that's where my sort of expertise and my prior knowledge and, and experience come in handy. And basically that allowed me to look really deep into the area of ketosis, of ketone metabolism, of the difference between endogenous ketones, like what they use in ketogenic diet, you know, to treat all these different diseases versus exogenous ketones, which is a supplement that you can directly consume to elevate your blood ketone levels in order to boost performance. And that was also a realization of, you know, these two different population, one is the disease population, and the other part is the uh, high performance population. Essentially, they are, they are both on the same spectrum. They are both on the human metabolism spectrum. One just do it much better than the others, and the other group has some form of dysfunction, whether it's being caused by genetics factors, um, genetic factors, or environmental factors or lifestyle factors
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's uh it's a great setup because and i think it's my take on where things are at now it it just as a clinician in uh, who's used ketogenic diets and also exogenous ketones with my patients for many years for many different reasons is uh, i like that concept of a spectrum you know there. are there are people, for example, kids with recalcitrant and drug-resistant epilepsy, who have very, very severe, life-altering, you know, condition that a very strict ketogenic diet that puts them in deep ketosis can be a game changer for them. You know, can can work when nothing else has worked and really change their quality of life. And but they have to be very Strict, And they often have to be in pretty deep ketosis to get that benefit. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have, like to say, a weekend warrior athlete, you know, who's working most of the week, then goes out and does a, ha- a half marathon or a 5K or something on, on the weekend. they're fundamentally they're healthy, but they're just looking for an additional edge, you know, in their performance and a way of enjoying their, you know, weekend activities and then you have maybe an executive you know entrepreneur, someone who relies on cognitive like you know really sharp cognitive performance who's just looking for that additional edge and everything in between, and I think now there's a greater understanding of how ketones can benefit all of those different use cases or populations rather than just people with metabolic disease or or you know cognitive or neurodegenerative conditions, yeah, so let's just like back up a little bit here Mm -hmm. because we have probably some people who are less familiar with what a ketone even is in the first place. And then, you know, we can talk a little bit about nutritional ketosis and well, actually let's just start with ketones. And then, you know, I've heard you say why why ketones might be looked at as the fourth macronutrient. So we, Mm -hmm. we have carbohydrates, protein, and fat traditionally considered the three macros. And I I know you've said that uh, ketones may be considered the force. So let's talk about just the basics of ketone science, and we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Um, And I think a lot of people don't realize how we are evolutionarily able, like designed to produce ketones as well as metabolize ketones. So we, our own bodies, we produce ketones from fats. We break down fats and produce ketones whenever we are in a mode of starvation or we are in a mode where we have little to no access to our carbohydrate uh, sources, i.e. either blood glucose or our glycogen stores. And when that happens, our brain and our heart, you know organs and systems that needs to keep going would run out of source of energy, right? Because most of, uh, for example, our brain, It uses primarily sugar most of the time. And what happens then if we run out of sugar, either we're going through fasting or we're going through a ketogenic diet where we literally just restrict the access to carbohydrates. That's when our body knows that and it needs to break down fat uh, to produce ketones to then deliver to the brain. But then one might also ask, why can't the brain directly... Metabolize fats like the rest of the body, like muscle cells, or or in the liver, where it can use uh, fats and other substrates to build uh, glucose via gluconeogenesis. The answer lies within the blood brain barrier, which is a a thin layer of epithelial cells that stops bigger molecules to enter the brain uh, via blood and glucose. Can answer that because it's a relatively smaller molecule compared to a fatty acid, because fatty acid has a long carbon chain, carbon chain that inhibits it from going through the blood-brain barrier. So whenever we are in the state of low carb, you know, low food uh, sort of environment or condition, the brain needs to access some form of substrates in one way or another, and this is where ketones come in. And the three main ketone bodies that we produce in our bodies are acetoacetate, acetone, and beta hydroxybutyrate. And the last one, beta hydroxybutyrate or BHB for short, is the main ketone body that is being used for metabolism and also the main ketone body that is being transported in our blood. And that's when, you know, whenever people say, oh, I measured my blood ketone levels via well, a finger prick, like, either KetoMojo Mojo or Abbott Precision Extra or sort of ketone meter that you can get from Amazon, they are essentially measuring the blood BHB. So that's where the idea of, okay, ketones being the brain preferred fuel, because then with the existence of exogenous ketones, meaning that ketones you didn't produce yourself in your body, but rather you can consumed directly to increase your blood BHB levels, it allowed us to really examine these organs. When there is presence of of glucose, would they still take up ketones? And the answer is most of these organs, like the heart for sure, um, they upregulate the uptake of ketones independent of the other substrates, meaning that the other substrates will still carry on to be taken up. But whenever ketones are available, it will always take up ketones as well. And does there is take a paper- them
0: up. Uh, sorry for interrupting. Does it take them up preferentially or does it take them up at similar rates to other substrates?
1: It is um, similar rates and it's proportional to the available- availability of ketones. And what they have seen is that other substrates, if you increase the blood concentration of the substrates, they ultimately reach a plateau because of the saturation of transporters. So glucose, you'll have glutes, which are glucose transporters, and um, fatty acids, you have fatty acid transporters. At some point, when you increase the substrate concentration in the blood to a certain extent, these transporters get saturated and they reach a plateau in the uptake. But so far, in the, I don't know whether it's because the ketone that they're providing in these studies are not concentrated enough are not high enough uh to reach the plateau but they have seen a really direct directly proportional uptake relative to the availability of the ketones meaning that they still um haven't reached that saturation point or plateau um yet so that's which is quite interesting
0: okay so let's talk a little bit more about methods of inducing ketosis, generating ketones, you've met, you know, the two primary being endogenous, like we produce them ourselves, or we get them uh, from a supplement of some kind.
1: Yeah. So one, let's talk about, you know, produce ourselves. And I talked about this earlier a little bit on intermittent fasting and ketogenic diet. So the main condition, the main, excuse me, the main condition that you need to be in is to have low carb storage. So you can achieve that via just not eating, i.e. fasting, or via a diet that severely restricts your carbohydrate intake, which is like a ketogenic diet. So then when that happens over time, like one day, two days, three days, especially when you go on a longer fast, you will see a huge increase in your blood ketone levels like two to three days in if you are fasting for, for that long. For ketogenic diet, because you still have some form of intake and some form of calories, it depends you know, from person to person, obviously, but um, you may see the, the increase in, in your blood ketone levels not as starkly, not as dr- uh, drastic as you would uh, if you fast for a long time. So those are endogenous ketones, internal ketones that you make in your liver. Exogenous ketones, however, um, are relatively new. I would say in the past 10 years or so, I think the first few types of exogenous ketones that came out were ketone salts and MCT. So MCT is medium change triglycerides, uh, mainly found in uh, a lot of different healthy fats, like avocado, I'm not sure avocado has it, but coconut oil for sure has MCT. And ketone salts are essentially BHB, so ketone, bound with a salt molecule, either sodium, potassium, or magnesium. Now, the problem with these uh, supplements, these two supplements, yes, it does increase your blood BHP to a certain extent. So if just for reference, if you are not on ketogenic diet and you're not producing your own ketones, your ketone levels, your blood ketones levels should be around 0 to 0.1 millimolar. But if you are nutritionally, in nutritional ketosis, the definition is anything above 0.5 millimolar. So what we have seen in studies is that with ketone salts and MCT, it increases your blood BHP up to about 0.7 to maximum, a little bit below one millimolar. And that's when people started using um, ketones, exogenous ketones for performance. And a lot of studies that use ketone salt as performance, they didn't see any increase in performance. And then later on, they found out it's because of two things. One is that it doesn't increase your blood BHP to a high level enough because for performance, um, the threshold of around around 1.5, 2 millimolar. And two, while it is dose responsive, like it's just dose dependent, you can take more in order to increase your blood BHB more, but because it is bound to a salt, you are significantly increasing the amount of salt you're consuming, which also increases the risk of GI issues. So that's where it became an obstacle to to for these uh, these two supplements to be able to raise your blood ketone levels up to a higher level. And then in 2017, that was when the first ketone ester. Entered the market, um, and our company, HVMN, brought that into the market for the first time. And that does very well in in increasing your blood BHP level. It can spike your blood BHP level within half an hour up to three to five millimolar. What is ketoneester? Ketonester is essentially BHP bound with butane diol. It's the bond that binds those two molecules, uh, it is called a Ester bond. That's why it's called ketone ester. But nowadays, you get multiple. That's just one form of ketone ester. This ketone monoester. Nowadays, you can get ketone diester. You can get like 2C6 bound to butane diol. You can get acetyl acetate diester. So, different forms of ketone esters these days. But the main, more prevalent ketone ester that's in, in the market right now is uh, ketone monoester. And then, uh, uh, do you have any questions, Chris? No, no, go ahead. I'll come, I'll circle back.
0: Yeah, sure. Several Uh, questions, but I want you to finish the the exogenous ketones, and then we'll have plenty to
1: chat about. Sounds good. Sounds good. And then um, that was 2017, and then a few years down the road, and then a lot of cyclists started taking ketone esters, you know, including those in Tour de France, and it was out in the news and everything, and people were questioning, should this be allowed? Or because essentially it is a micronutrient. It is not a drug. It's not a stimulant. It doesn't directly, you know, increase or decrease your sort of physiology. Um, the main processes like, like anabolic steroids would or performance enhancing drugs would. It's just like taking in glucose. It's just a source of ATP generation, right? And more studies then came out that looked at ketone esters, some of which shown no improvement in performance. And of course, there's that discrepancy in the protocols that they use, right? Like How do you use it? Do you use it fed? Do you use it fasted? Do you use it half an hour before? Do you use it two hours before? Um, And then do you top it up? Do you want to make sure, you know, all that stuff, all that difference in protocol obviously makes a difference. But then one paper came out, McCarthy et al., that showed that because you are spiking a blood BHP to such a high level, you are essentially decreasing the pH of your blood, which means it is increasing the acidity of your blood. And as a result, you are upregulating all your cardiorespiratory stress biomarkers. You're increasing your heart rate, you're increasing your breathing rate because your body is trying to expel as much carbon dioxide as possible in order to neutralize your blood pH levels. And that as a result, these athletes, these cyclists, did not get any performance gain. They didn't do worse. It wasn't detrimental, but they did have a much higher rate of perceived exertion, meaning that you're working out as hard, or you're feeling that subjectively you're working out as hard, but you're not getting any benefits. So clearly, you know, you you don't want that. And two years ago, we HVMN decided to come out with Ketone IQ, which is our latest current flagship product that. Is essentially butane diol, chirally pure R1,3 butane diol. So, when I said earlier, ketone ester is a BHB bound with butane diol. So, this we basically took half of it and made it a drink. And the reason why we, uh, you know, uh, evolved ketone ester product, our ketone ester product into this uh, are three reasons, right? One is ketone ester tastes really, really bitter and it was really hard to flavor. In fact, our $6 million contract. With the military, uh, one of the tasks is to improve the flavor. And we worked with Monell Research Center, which is a, a sensory research, uh, so, a research institution who are experts in flavoring and, and masking flavors and all of this. They've done everything they could. They put artificial sweeteners, natural sweeteners, dairy, coat this, coat that. It didn't do anything. It was really bitter. Uh, two, I, I can is attest debra- to that. I, <laughs> I, I mean,
0: I, I personally, and with patients, like I, I had people vomit. People have just extreme reactions to both the esters and and the salts. So, yeah, uh, I think this is a very <laughs> worthwhile innovation and and necessary to get it to to you know make it accessible to the mainstream because most people are just not going to tolerate the taste of ketone esters.
1: And in fact, some of the studies, it was. It has negative results just because half of the people were puking their lungs out. (laughs) So, I mean, how can you expect these athletes to perform well if they're puking their lungs out and also having diarrhea from like Mm. the salts or whatsoever? Yeah. So, taste at price, it was about $40 per 25 grams of ketone ester versus $10 per 10 grams. Uh per 25 grams, sorry, of ketone IQ. So that's you know a huge difference there. And um, thirdly, obviously the physiological change, the pharmacological aspect of ketone acid versus ketone IQ as well. Ketone IQ, it does raise your blood ketone levels significantly, but because butane diol goes through your liver and gets converted into BHB and gets released slowly into your blood, you don't spike your blood BHP in the same manner as ketone ester, And therefore you are avoiding that acidification of blood. And therefore you're also avoiding all those increase in cardiorespiratory stress biomarkers. And because it is being modulated and monitored by the liver, the liver also gets signal from the rest of your body to really make sure that you if you are in a state of abundance where you have enough substrates then the release will be capped and if you don't then the release will you know increase that sort of way which is a great sort of gatekeeper gatekeeping mechanism that we we realize with uh ketone iq now i give you one simple example when i talk about this um so Three of us, uh, Jeff, Michael, and myself. Jeff Michael are the co-founders of the company. We were on a podcast to introduce Ketone IQ when we first launched it, and all three of us had three different doses of Ketone IQ. One of us took one dose, uh, which is ten grams. The other took two doses, twenty grams, and the third one took three doses. All of us had above one millimolar uh, ketone blood, blood ketone levels after you know, in the middle of our podcast, but. I believe it was Jeff. Jeff was fasting that day and he had a much higher blood ketone levels as a baseline. So here probably start around 0. 0.8. And uh, this video is up on our YouTube as well. I'm sure you guys, you guys can find it. It's on HUM podcast.
0: Sounds entertaining. To watch yeah.
1: We basically, we basically, you know, took a shot on camera, recorded our, our blood ketone levels live and show, you know, show it to our camera. And even at a higher level, when, when, when Jeff started at a higher level, it capped at 2.3, 2.4, I believe. And that's the same as what we've seen in our internal pharmacokinetic study, where when we re- increase the dose up to one gram per kilogram of body weight. So imagine if you're an, a 70 kilogram person, you are having seven shots of ketone IQ in one go. Um, do not recommend that because that is not our recommended dose, but we had to do that for our pharmacokinetic study, right? For safety and tolerability. We saw a plateauing around 2.5 millimolar, which is great because then we know that your body can actually limit and making sure that your, your blood ketone level doesn't go way too high. Because what I tell people about metabolism is that it's not about piling on something that is good just because something is good doesn't mean more is better metabolism is all about optimal range you have to have your optimal ph range you have to you have your optimal temperature range like you can't be too cold you can't be too hot otherwise you know your body is going through something wrong and it's the same here with ketone levels like blood ketone levels you want to be within that goldilocks zone so what with, with ketone ester, because half of it is BHB, it goes directly into your blood, and that is what spikes your blood BHB up. And when it is not regulated by any organs like your liver, it is very dose-dependent. So if you have three 25 gram bottles of those ketone, ester, you will go up to like six, seven millimolar. And we've seen that with our military project because um we are using weight match dosing. So, some of these guys are huge, right? So, they'll have like, I don't know, 50, 60 grams of uh, ketone esters and they'll feel ill afterwards. They just generally fin- feel unwell when you have that high of a blood ketone levels. It's the same thing. And you can do that with any other substrates. If you overdose yourself with sugar, you'll feel sick, right? If you have too much sugar, you will literally e- feel sick. Even water, you- right? Yeah, even water. Yeah. If
0: you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium in easy to use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresserco slash Element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. Vitamin C is a critical nutrient for immune function and antioxidant protection. Yet most people don't get enough in their diet and most vitamin C supplements contain synthetic forms, GMO, sugar, or allergens like soy or corn. This is why I recommend whole food forms of vitamin C which contain the full spectrum of vitamin C activity without GMOs or other junk. And my favorite whole food vitamin C product is Essential C from Paleo Valley. It's made with three of the most potent vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet, one of which is 120 times more potent than an orange. Nothing synthetic, no weird questionable ingredients, just food. Right now, they're offering my community an exclusive 15% off discount. Just go to paleovalley.com slash chris and use the code CRESSER15 to get 15% off. I've been writing and speaking about the harms of industrial seed oils for years, They're an enormous problem. They've been linked to widespread health and environmental issues, and yet they're in almost everything we eat. Zero Acre is here to change that. Their cultured oil is an all-purpose cooking oil with over 90% heart-healthy and heat-stable monounsaturated fats. In fact, it has more monounsaturated fat than even olive and avocado oil, And it has a much higher smoke point and a clean, neutral taste, which makes it perfect for everything from cooking and baking to salad dressings. I use it to cook my eggs in the morning, uh, ground beef, uh, pretty much anything that I'm going to cook that might have a higher smoke point and that I don't want the oil to have an impact on the taste of the food. It's become one of my favorite cooking oils. And since it's made by fermentation, it has a 10 times smaller environmental footprint than other vegetable oils. I'm a huge fan of this product. I think you'll love it as well. And Zero Acre is offering our listeners free shipping on their first order. So go to zeroacre.com chris or use the code chris at checkout to claim this deal. That's z-e-r-o-a-c-r-e.com chris yeah so i I want to just review a little bit here because I, I think as we talk I, I want to just focus mostly on exogenous ketones because we've I've done a lot of podcasts on ketogenic diets and the benefits and how to optimize and you know different ranges of um, ketosis, et cetera uh, but right. we haven't really d- done a deeper dive into the different types of exogenous ketones, how to use them, what the considerations are so just to summarize like with with Ketone salts, you, you have a pretty low peak, uh, mm-hmm. so they just don't move the needle very yep. much, in other words. And so yep. that was one of the main problems there. With ketone esters, is the opposite problem. You have this yep. huge spike. If you're imagining yep. a graph, you know, you've know you got like a hot, just a straight-up line on the left um, as, as it goes up, and then it just falls off really quickly. So you, and you can have side effects on both, both parts of that. A yep. Journey <laughs> going up and going down, right? Exactly. Uh, and then, and so, if if those are the sort of two bookends of the curves on the chart, then you have ketone diols, which kind of s- are strike a middle ground there, where you have a slower rise in ketone levels, then you have a, a peak, like you just said, of around two, two, two point five. So you don't skyrocket into a range that could make you feel uncomfortable, but you also have a more extended persistent curve, meaning you're you're staying in that that optimal level of ketones for longer because you have a slower build and then a slower decline in blood ketone levels. Is that accurate?
1: That is absolutely accurate. And in the uh, internal study that we did as well, uh, we all had to fast overnight and we took it and we had to prick ourselves every hour for six hours. Uh, so we got seven pricks because you get you know, T equals zero as well as one prick. So we ran our fingers almost um, to prick ourselves. And um, we saw that, you know, even at six hours, if you're at rest, you are getting your ketone levels above one millimolar um, still after six hours, which is something that we have not seen with ketone esters as the, the, the drop is quite um significant because you, you've sort of spiked it up and then your body uses it really quickly and then it goes back down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know, I'll share some of my, my personal experience with ketone IQ toward the end. And but I I can say that I've I definitely can feel this difference because I've tried all the different methods yeah. of exogenous ketones and I've also <laughs> tried and still cycle through ketogenic diets. So I, I'm familiar with how endogenous ketosis feels and um, but I wanna I want to talk a little bit m- more about the various factors that affect blood levels of ketones with exogenous ketones. You mentioned one of them, which is whether you're in a fed or fasted state. So and you're going back to your experiment with the co-founders, if you're in a fasted state and you take 10 grams of uh, exogenous ketones, you might end up, you're going to end up with a different blood level than if you're in a, if you take it right after a meal. So what are some, uh, what are some of the other factors that might impact that curve?
1: You know, how, how
0: uh, ketones affect your blood level?
1: You know, this is a very interesting question as well. So what we have received uh, in terms of people reporting that when, or actually in some studies as well, whenever they have a fed demographic, so so they ask these participants or athletes were fed before they were given ketone esters, their blood ketone levels seem to be a little bit lower compared to when they're fasted. What we have seen in our ketone IQ study that we just completed with the University of North Georgia um, it is under review right now with the Frontiers of Physiology Journal. We did not see any difference if you're fasted or if you're fed when it comes to blood ketone levels. I don't know if that has something to do with, you know, butane going through liver versus half of ketone ester is BHB that goes directly into the blood. I don't quite know what the mechanism is. Um, we, I don't think we do, um, you know, as a, the scientific community. But we have seen really interesting results with UNG1 now that I'm talking about it. Um, It's the first anaerobic exercise uh, trial that has ever been done. Because whenever we talk about ketones, exogenous ketones, people think of endurance exercise. People think of cyclists. People think of triathletes. But for the first time, we decided to do a true anaerobic test, which uh, uses the Wingate anaerobic test, We asked these participants to go on five bouts of sprints on a stationary bike at 7.5% of body weight as as resistance. And they have to go as, as hard as they can. And we measure the peak power, the average power, the velocity, as well as their fatigue levels. All of those parameters improved. They improved their peak power. They improved their average power. They improved their velocity. And they decreased their fatigue. Uh, as they go towards you know the last bout of their anaerobic test which is super interesting because we we didn't really expect that to be that significant because we know that in anaerobic exercise glycolysis and glucose or dependency on glucose is still very much you know dominant and 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 really the preferred pathway of metabolism when it comes to that that sort of exercise. yeah, that's
0: really really interesting and kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom when mm-hmm. it comes to anaerobic training. What was there speculation on what the mechanism was there?
1: Yeah, I think we 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 sort of concluded that the the speculation it could be something to do with signaling in the brain, um, essentially some form of analgesic effect similar to that of caffeine. Where you just feel less pain when you're pushing through, because anaerobic exercise essentially is the goal is to go as hard as you could, but as a result, it's it's almost inevitable to have high buildup of lactic acid and the burn and you know that that muscle fatigue while you are in a hypoxic state. So, we know the effect of ketones in hypoxia. like That has been shown again and again to be very beneficial, but most of the time it's not that acute of a setting. It's more of a hypoxic adaptation or mitigation of cognitive decline in hypoxia versus like this anaerobic sort of setting. So I think it's more to do with the brain and, and, and perception and being in the zone versus purely energetics play here.
0: What about exercise? If if someone is has recently exercised, will that affect the metabolism of exogenous ketones? So like someone who takes ketone IQ prior to a workout versus someone who takes it during a workout or after a workout. Is there any significant difference there?
1: Um I would say if you are at rest, your blood ketone levels would obviously stay up longer compared to when you work out as to whether you take it before during or after i think if you take it before or during you will probably see your blood ketone levels drop up a little bit quicker whereas if you use it after i have, i personally i haven't seen any sort of measurement of blood ketone levels when people take it after exercise a lot of these studies uh, one of the study that you know that got really popular by Haspel's group in Belgium, they looked at recovery. Uh, they looked at exogenous ketones and recovery when cyclists were given proteins, carbs, and ketones after exercise, so 30 minutes after exercise and 30 minutes before bed. Unfortunately, I don't think they measured blood ketone levels after because they're like, I don't know, what's the point? But what they did measure is the effect of the recovery or the outcomes of the compounding effect. Because three weeks after utilizing that nutritional protocol, they have seen an improvement of 15% increase in uh, power output in the group with carbs, proteins, and ketones.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I, I mean, I've I've certainly, it's probably the most significant benefit I've noticed is is in both performance and recovery in, you know, long mountain bike rides or when I'm uh, backcountry skiing or even lifting weights, you know, more anaerobic exercise right. um, in addition to cognitive benefits. But I want to um, explore a few different use cases and get some ideas from you on how best practices for these different use cases, both in terms of frequency of dosing and overall dosing and, you know, I'm not asking you to give medical advice, but more just sort of um, scenarios here sure. um, for, so consider, let, let's, since we're on the topic of ath- athletes and improving performance and recovery, take somebody who's either a competitive athlete or someone who's exercising fairly hard, you know, whatever they, whether it be running or mountain biking, weightlifting, etc. Is there sort of a, a an optimal use that is that that you would suggest, or that has emerged in studies, or in the work with the military, like pre-workout and post-workout? You know, how do you use it during recovery days, that sort of thing?
1: So from the study, so whatever I, you know, obviously, like you said, I'm not giving medical advice, but I can certainly share what all these studies are pointing towards, right? So we have our FAQ on HVMN.com as well, where, wherever you, if you can want to search, you know, what's the best use case for athletic performance, what's the best use case for recovery, it's also all there. So it's all based on all these existing studies. So whenever, when you talk about pre-workout and using it for uh, performance, we recommend taking half an hour before, and then if your workout is longer than two hours, top out every 90 minutes into the workout, right? So in that sense, in terms of dosing, we generally recommend one dose, you know, whenever you take it, which is 10 grams. But most of our athletes, because all these studies are, are weight matched and they use between 0.3 to 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight, which comes out roughly around 20, 30 grams. So about two to three doses every time they take it. So our athletes, if you're using for performance, you might wanna start with having two shots of 20 grams from the big, or or 70 mils from the big bottle. If you're taking the shots, then it's like two shots, uh, half an hour before you start exercise and then 90 minutes into the exercise, top up another two and then top up every 90 minutes thereafter. In terms of recovery, um, like I said, the study that I mentioned earlier, you can take it half an hour after, together with whatever post-workout recovery drink that you're taking, your know, protein shake and all that. Don't recommend mixing into a protein drink. I don't know, some people might like it. I, I don't, I like to take my shot and then wash it down with my protein shake. Uh, some people like to take it right before bed as well. I've got quite mixed uh, message around that. I personally like to take it right before bed, but some people find that they um, they get too energetic or their brain is still like, too much awake um, if they take ketones before bed. So I think that really varies between people to people.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's true in almost every case in my experience of uh, with these kinds, with supplements in general, uh, yeah. ketones definitely, even endogenous ketosis, of course, there's huge variation of how likely people are to produce ketones in, in response to the same, you know, you could have uh, two people... Following an identical diet, you'll see different ketone production in each of them based on a whole bunch of different factors that we don't need to go into. And it could even vary from day to day, you know, based on what's going on, how all of those factors are varying. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know from my own experience with this product and people who I've recommended it to and patients and stuff, like you mentioned you like to just take the shot. Some people like to like sip on it throughout the day. Yep given that the, even if you take the shot, the curve is, is fairly spread out. Like what, what would be the sort of half-life of, you know, if you were to take a 10 gram shot, how long would you expect that to, to your blood ketone levels to stay elevated?
1: 10 grams is quite low. So some people, you know, maybe if you're at rest, it'll probably stay around like three, four hours. Some people like start to peak around at two and then they start dropping at three, four hours. But if you're taking two doses, then it's probably going to be a little bit higher. And I think one good thing, one thing that you pointed out, you know, a, a good point is that because the the curve is quite smooth and, and slow anyway, it's very slow and steady, even at a higher dose. So whenever we run studies or I'm talking to researchers in order, because, you know, if you drink a lot at, at the same time, obviously, you know, with any, Products like it's gonna have some side, some form of side effects. So if they are taking more than four doses because of their weight, body weight, and they have to match it, I usually recommend them divide that into two boluses. So take twenty grams, half an hour before workout, twenty grams right immediately before you workout, and then just top up to two grams every ninety minutes.
0: Well, if you're if you're doing an extended workout.
1: Yeah. If you're doing extended workout. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then let's talk about someone who, let's say, you know, they're not like working out really intensely. They they exercise, but um, maybe they're looking more for a cognitive benefit or just maintaining focus. Uh-huh. What would you suggest there in terms of how to use it?
1: Some people like to take one shot, just 10 grams in the morning before they start work or, you know, and in, in, some people do it instead of coffee. Some people do it stacking with coffee. There is no right or wrong here. Um, there is no counter contra ind- ind- indication when you stack it with coffee. What I tell people is that, you know, coffee or caffeine is a stimulant. It increases your blood pressure, your heart rate, and it, it blocks your adenosine like receptors to make you not feel tired or fatigue, but it doesn't. And it may even increase your, energy consumption, right? Your brain energy demand. Ketones, on the other hand, it's the brain fuel is the fuel that that meets the demand. So in a way, it's quite synergistic, but at the same time, some people like myself, I I can't drink too much coffee because I get like jittery and and, and anxious. So instead, I just use ketone IQ and, and that works perfectly fine for me because I still get the alertness. I get the the focus without the jittery feeling.
0: Yeah, one of my one of my favorite. I I do okay with coffee in the morning. If I drink it past like eleven, I'm I don't sleep. But I will off, often use some ketones. Uh, I'll take like a shot in the early afternoon after lunch because that tends to be my my the the lowest energy point for me or mm-hmm. or at least mental focus. And I find that if I do that, it's easy for me to just like jump back in and yep. keep and stay focused, which is amazing because the only other things that seemed to have, you know, uh, that impact were things that, you know, like that do have some level of caffeine. It might be, it might have been less caffeine than coffee, but still. I'm just so sensitive to caffeine that exactly. even small amounts in the afternoon would interfere with my sleep. So it's been pretty amazing to have a different way of achieving a fairly similar effect. I mean, it's slightly different, but in some ways better because it doesn't come with those jitters and it's, it's a more relaxed focus, I guess, is the way I would describe it.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly how we say it. Like it's relaxed, it's supple, subtle, subtle. And a lot of people got confused right because we have been so conditioned with coffee it's like whenever we talk about energy and alertness we think of coffee so they're like how can you say use the word relax and energy at the same <laughs> yeah. time they're like you know they get really confused and and that's exactly how i i describe it you know it's a subtle relaxed focus so you don't need to you know jump off the wall Kind of energy. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, energy. it doesn't
0: come with the anxiety yeah. that coffee can produce, or or any kind of caffeine.
1: And and in terms of sleep quality as well, I think that's a great point because a lot of people would want to avoid coffee closer to sort of bedtime or even past afternoon. And ketones don't have the same effect as coffee, so that's why people like to use ketone as the pick me up sort of after lunch.
0: Yeah. Uh is there anything I think you you already addressed this, I believe, but I just wanna clarify because I know you know people will wonder about this are there any um either contraindications so things that would preclude somebody from taking ketone dials mm-hmm. and are there anything is there any dietary things that should be avoided? Concurrently, like so, it, um, anything that could counteract the effect essentially or interfere with the absorption?
1: So, I'll answer the la- the, the, the last question first. Um, no, there isn't anything. That's the beauty of it because it's a direct ketone that you consume. So, you know, even with food with ketone diol, unlike ketone ester, we have seen there's no diminishing effect uh, on, on your blood ketone levels. As how far, about, as, uh,
0: yeah. Let me ask a follow-up question on that too. How about like nutrients or supplements, like any minerals, vitamins, anything else that anyone should be aware of uh, taking it concurrently? Like if someone wanted to combine it with electrolytes, for example, yeah. could they do that?
1: That's absolutely fine. I mean, it's, it's much better. I would rather you take ketone IQ and then combine it with electrolyte than just take ketone salt because a lot of people are like, oh, well, why don't I just take ketone salt? Because it's ketones and electrolyte but then they're bound so you you don't you can't have high enough ketone levels exactly without overdosing yourself with the salts so uh, that's a great suggestion and i don't don't know of any supplements or any form of products or food products that have diminishing effect or detrimental effect or contraindication effect to ketone iq um because ultimately it is not a drug it is not a pharmacological like invention it's like sugar it's like fats right we don't have we can take pretty much take sugar and fats with anything that's how i would see it it's just a substrate and the first question was you know what are the precaution? You know, are there people who shouldn't be taking ketone? IQ and all that. And I think the wonders of ketone is that because we are evolved and designed to create and metabolize ketones, and and this, even though it's in the form of butin dial your body will create BHB from it. And BHB is BHB is BHB. It's the same molecule. And that's what your body recognizes. And that's what your body will use it as. So there will be it will be the same BHB that you produce yourself as you would consume. The only thing that I want people to know is that when you drink ketone IQ about an hour after, you will see a slight drop in blood glucose. So if you are someone with... A tendency to be in hypoglycemia, you might want to uh, be a little bit careful and and just making sure, you know, you check your blood glucose levels, either you have a continuous glucose glucose monitor or whatnot, just to make sure you don't get into that hypoglycemic state where you will get like chills and like not feeling well. And, And if you do feel that, you will, you know that it is because of the hypoglycemic effect.
0: And then lastly, I know and this is a huge topic, so we're only going to be able to scratch the surface, but uh, what is the research, you know, how much research is there so far on ketone dials in disease states, like whether that's, you know, metabolic disease, like type 2 diabetes or traumatic brain injury or anything like that?
1: That's a great question. So as far as diabetes go, um, there is already a study, even though we've only been out for a year and a half. There is already a published study using ketone IQ to lower blood glucose, published by Doctor Jonathan Little uh, from University of British Columbia in, in Canada, and uh, this you know goes back to what I was talking about the glucose lowering effect. And a lot of people, even though they see their blood glucose level drop like fifty points up to fifty points, they don't feel hypoglycemic. They feel quite energetic, and on the contrary, because the ketone is essentially being their main source of energy for the brain. And um, for TBI, we are actually in the middle of applying for additional grants with the military because the military, uh, military population has very high risk of traumatic brain injury. So we are actually compiling a bunch of literature around exogenous and endogenous ketones related to brain injury in both animals and 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 human work. So it, it's looking very, very promising. In fact, last year we published a review paper, myself, uh, Jeff, and our scientific writer, Naomi, we published it in Frontiers in Physiology. We looked at potential use of lactate and ketones in treating traumatic brain injury and as an extension neurodegenerative diseases, because they both share a lot of hallmarks of metabolic dysfunction, as far as glucose metabolism goes, as far as deficit in energy goes, because in traumatic brain injury you get a deficit in in, in energy and you get a hyper metabolism of glucose in the beginning. You know, forty eight hours after you have an injury, you up the brain upregulates glucose metabolism. Some may say it's being upregulated because we need the energy to deal with the jet damage and some say that the glucose is being shoved into pentose phosphate pathway to create NADPH, which will then help with the mitigation uh, and recovery of, of the injury. Hmm. But then afterwards they get hyper hypometabolism. So they get a deficit in, in energy. And this is where ketone could potentially come in and really um, sits right in between that, you know, the lack of energy and, and glucose metabolism to to normal function
0: yeah fascinating that that might be a future episode look looking at more in depth about how to use it in disease states, but yeah, thank you, lat, for joining me and uh, sharing all this it's It's really fascinating i I'm a big advocate of nutritional interventions that are safe and effective and yep. easy to implement and so I'm always on the lookout myself for Things like that, and not just in, any intervention—not just nutritional things. Things that have a pleiotropic effect, right? That mm-hmm. that can make, or, you know, put in lay layperson's terms, the, the rising tides that lift all boats. The things yeah. that you can do, almost regardless of what the problem is, um, it, they will help, and they can help in multiple different ways. And of course, that's true of exercise. It's true of a good diet. It's true of maximizing your nutrient intake. And I found it to be true of Ketones as well, and the challenge has always been as as we've discussed that there you know if you're if not following a strict ketogenic diet because that's either you don't want to or it's contraindicated or you don't want to have that you know you, you want more carbohydrates in your diet for any number of reasons, mm-hmm. there has not been an easy way to benefit from ketones because of the problems with ketone salts, just not really raising ketone levels enough or ketone esters, which are arguably even worse because they raise them too fast and all the side effects associated with that. So ketone dials have really been a game changer for me and for my patients. Uh, I I, I use ketone IQ every day, sometimes less, sometimes more, depending on what I'm doing. And it's one of the few things that has just become a staple, you know, uh, something that I do uh, every day, along with electrolytes, I mentioned electrolytes. So it's a very, those are big for me too. Living in probably one of the driest <laughs> places in the in the U.S. and at altitude, mm-hmm. both ketones and electrolytes have been game changers for me in my my daily routine. So, uh, for all the listeners, if you want to um, give ke- Ketone IQ a try yourself, you can go to HVMN. That's Harry Victor Mary Nancy, HVMN.com slash Chris Cresser. And they're uh, very generously offering 20% off for all of the Revolution Health Radio listeners. And then there's two uh, options there. One is the shots. The, and so these are 10 grams. Just chug it back, uh, like Lat said he likes to do. And there you go. And then the, the other is uh, the Ketone IQ. A bottle, and those are ten servings of ten grams each. So it's, it's a hundred grams in the bottle, and that's just a different way of getting the benefit. If you're going to be out and about, you know, or you know you're on, you're doing like a really hard long workout that day, that might be a better option than carrying ten different shot bottles uh, with you, for example. So it just depends on. What your preferred use case is, and you know what, I would encourage people to experiment and see what they like to do best because um, there's no one-size-fits-all approach. Lat, thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it. And um, where can people learn more about
1: your work? Um, they can find me at Lat L A T T M A N S O R, on all social media, and I also host the HVMN podcast that they can find on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube. And just a little bit teaser for your audience as well, as we are talking about you a know, potential episode on just therapeutics. Right now, um, there are a, a, quite a few researchers who are trying to look at myalgic encephalitis or chronic fatigue syndrome using Ketone IQ. And um, we've got patients who have been using it regularly and her, her biomarkers improve significantly. So I just connected her based in Canada with the doctor that I spoke to based in Australia. So it could be uh, an international collaboration to look at fatigue levels. And we are applying for a grant with European Space Agency to use um, Ketone IQ for radiation protection for astronauts as well.
0: Very exciting. Yeah, we'll have you back in a little while and talk about that that research. And everybody, thanks for listening. Keep sending your questions at com slash podcast question. We'll see you next time. When I find a company that I love and I think you'll love, I do my best to support it and help it grow. Sometimes that means just getting the word out through my podcast, emails, and social media channels. And other times that means investing in the company or joining their advisory board. If you're hearing this message, it means that I'm either an investor or advisory board member of a company that is mentioned in this podcast episode. I only invest in or advise companies with a mission and products that I truly believe in. And I hope you benefit from learning more about them and how their products can improve your life. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review they really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscressor.com slash You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscressor or facebook.com slash L-A-C. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.